Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 4, verse 5 through 29, and 39 through 42. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, 
What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. We continue now by centering ourselves with a prayer that is connected to our breath. So on the inhale, you are invited to pray, gracious God, and on the exhale, lead us by your spirit. So let's take a few moments of silence to pray that together. Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. We come to this moment from a variety of perspectives and experiences, some of us joyful, hopeful, anticipating what you're going to do or say in our lives. Others of us fearful, anxious, or confused, or angry. We come believing and trusting and seeking you. We come doubting and running and wandering from you. Some of us remember a time when we used to believe these things and you seemed so close. And now because of circumstances that are either beyond our control or that we participated in, we're wondering what happened to you or maybe what happened to us. Where are you? And yet, however we find ourselves right now, Help us to see that we have far more in common than we realize. Each of us is beautiful and created in your image and likeness, reflecting your glory, designed for flourishing. And each of us is broken, not fully reflecting that glory. One step forward, two steps back. And help us to see the greatest truth of all, that all, in all of our complexity, all of our contradictions, your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would break through in a way that is fresh and new, whether it's for the first time or for the millionth time. Wake us up like you woke up this woman at the well 2,000 years ago. Fill us with your grace that is a wellspring gushing up to eternal life. And then set us, send us out 
like she did, to go and spread that good news with our words and with our actions. We pray in your name. Amen. So I mentioned earlier, I just got back from Chicago, and I was there for what's called a classes meeting. You'll learn about this in the membership course after this, but there's the local church, and then a whole group of local churches in our denomination, the Reformed Church in America, is called a classes. It goes back to the image of a, a fleet of ships sailing through the sea. So we're like one ship, and this bigger fleet is the, the idea. And it was phenomenal. I mean, arrived on Wednesday... <clears throat> Okay, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you some value right here. I used my standard checking into a hotel phrase. Checking into this hotel, and I said, would you please give me the nicest room you can without getting yourself in trouble? So then I get upgraded to the executive one-bedroom suite, and it has its own balcony. It's overlooking the city. It's, it's, it's sweet. And I go for a little walkabout like seven miles through the town, saw the Bean and Buckingham Fountain. I get back, and two of my best friends from Northern California, who used to be on staff with me at our church up there, are in the lobby looking at the computer with their serious faces on. I go, hey, Matt, Paul, what's going on? They said, the hotel has no record of our stay here, and they're booked. It's Saint, and it's St. Patrick's weekend, like, kicks off now. So it's full, everything's full. I was like, oh, this is gold. Like, let's, let's just pretend like we're back in college and do an old-fashioned sleepover in my one-bedroom suite. And we're like, you know, three grown men now in our 40s going, I don't know. Like, and I said, listen, if we were having a boys' weekend in Chicago and we weren't at a conference, we'd probably get one hotel room and enjoy the heck out of it. So we might as well do it right here. So, it, so anyways, sleepover nights, great days of content. Like, first meeting starts at 8 a.m., last one adjourns at about 9 p.m. So they're long, but this is our chance to get together with some free time in between so you can go sightseeing and stuff. I gave a presentation to the whole group because I've just been elected in that group to be the head of starting new churches across the country. So we're looking at starting churches in several cities, like phenomenal. So you're, I, I tell you this because your church is involved in something much bigger than what you see week in and week out here, which is what we have in our mission statement, following Christ to renew our neighborhood, our city, and our world. So then Friday, everything's done. I catch my last flight. Oh, I had dinner with my old friend Chuck DeGroat, if that name means anything to you, if you've met him, he says hi to this church. So we had dinner, and then we earned drinks, and then we go out, I go to the um, airport, and they did that whole, like, we're overbooked, if you'd like to volunteer, we'll give you $900 in vouchers for future travel. I said, well, you just hold on one second. I stepped aside, I called Florence, told her the deal. I said, honey, I can come home to you tonight, and I'd love to see you, but if I come home to you tomorrow, we can go to Hawaii. And she goes, that sounds great. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so I go back, and this is how cheesy your pastor is. I don't know if you've seen Hunger Games, but in front of like 50 people, I literally volunteered as tribute. And uh, I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> Who is this guy? So I run up there. The guy was so cool. He gives me the vouchers. The promise was 900 bucks. He goes, I hooked you up, man. I look, it's $1,250 voucher for Southwest Airlines. This is my commercial for Southwest. So that gives me an extra day in Chicago, which was yesterday, and I got to do two things. I saw my cousin, Gina, who I love deeply, officiated her wedding six years ago. They just had a baby, uh, Gina and Dan. Gina is facing a life-threatening, terrible illness, so please pray for Gina. Um, we've prayed for her in our noon Zoom. We pray for her at our community group. Love her. But I got to see her. I got to have dinner with her. Like, what a surprise. I got to meet her daughter for the first time. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then the little more lighthearted part, I actually got to see something I've always wanted to see but never seen. 
in Chicago as they kick off St. Patrick's Week, they turn the entire Chicago River bright green. Now, put on your hat for I care about the environment, and I think that's a terrible idea. Put on your hat for I just want to have a good time in Chicago, it's a phenomenal idea. And for whatever reason, it's kind of lasted. But one of the things when you, you, I'm prepared to see it, I've seen photos, but you actually get there and you stand like on the bridge over Lake, uh, over Michigan Avenue, and you're seeing water do something it's kind of never done before in front of your eyes. Like, it's turning bright green right in front of you. You know what water does, you know what it is, and if, and if you're, you know, in the ancient cultures like this, even more you're connected to the land. And so you know that water cleanses, refreshes, purifies, sustains. And now it's just doing something, now it's like entertaining, and it's bubbling up, and it's, you know, people are gathering around to see this water do something that it's never done before. And I think that's part of the, sh of, so that was awesome, by the way. I think it's part of the shock of what Jesus is telling this woman at the well. He's like, you know what water does, you know how to get it, you've been doing it for a long time. It's noted that this well has been here for a long time. It was Jacob's well, that was a long time ago. But I'm gonna show you water can do something you've never imagined before, and it's gonna change everything about you. It's gonna change the world. And so in here, we see this instant of, instance of grace that pursues, that exposes in order to heal, that does heal, grace that heals fully, and then grace that sends. Grace that pursues, exposes, heals, and sends. This grace pursues. Jesus takes initiative. He goes to all. The, the few verses that are before the reading that Rita read so well for us, it says, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. But if you look at a map of where he was traveling, where he was going, you would raise your hand and go, I'm sorry, my Google map says there are alternative routes, some that might have been quicker. So he didn't have to geographically or practically go through Samaria. There's something about Jesus that just had to go through Samaria. Now, that means even more when you realize Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, and the Samaritans were despised by the Jews as religiously impure people. This, there was a religious war going on. There was a physically violent in, um, interaction that was going on. One theologian commenter that I studied for this said, to understand what this was like, this is the closest we can get is this is Israel and Palestine back then. These are not friends, but he had to go through Samaria. Why do you think that is? I mean, if Jesus really is the face of the invisible God, if Jesus is what God has to say to this world, if it's true what he said in John 14, when you look at me, you see the Father, what does that tell you about the character of God? That's an aggressive grace that moves toward you. But it goes further. Because you have the Samaritan and you have the Jew, you have a man and you have a woman talking to each other. In many cultures to this day, a, a woman and a man who are not part of family or who are not married should not speak in public. I learned that the hard way in Cairo, Egypt in 2003. Embarrassed myself and this person, another story. She's going, I'm, a, I'm Samaritan, you're a Jew. I'm a woman, you're a man. We have no business talking to each other. And nobody would want to talk to this woman most likely anyways. There's a little subtlety here that you would have to live there to understand or read a book on it. This woman is alone at the well at noon. The punchline is she's an outcast. And here's how you know. If it's part of your daily routine, and it was part of your mom's daily routine and your grandma's daily routine and your great-grandma's, like the family's been doing this for a long time. Well's been there for a long time. No running water, no plumbing. So if you have to go to the well every single day, you're going to bake that into your daily plan. 
But if you have to bake it into your daily plan, you're probably not going to do it when the sun is the most high in the sky and it's the hottest part of the day and you're going to lug back all of this water to your home. It was a custom for the women to go together in the morning to get the water for the day. So then it's part chores and part catching up and part gossip and part hearing what's going on and part friendship and it's fellowship and it's community. And you know who wasn't there? This woman. And you find out why. Perhaps it's because of all these men that she's been with. That's kind of, that's a no-no in their culture. (laughs) So she's all alone. And it's this woman at this moment with her ethnicity, with her gender, with her own personal past, and Jesus had to go to Samaria, and he goes to her. What does that mean for you? What's What's the part of your life where you think, this part's really off limits? This part is really a part I'm, I'm not ready to open up to expose to God. I'm going to hold on to this one. It's scary. It's vulnerable. It's fragile. You know, there's 99 rooms in the mansion of your life, and you want to give them 97. Hey, that's not bad. He's saying, I want all of it. See him coming to you now. He said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. It's, it's the sick that need the doctor, not the healthy. The punchline is everyone's more sick than you realize. He said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. Punchline is we all lose our way sometime, some way. Some more visible than others. Someone's going, not me. I don't lose my way anytime. I'm not like those dummies over there. Friend, welcome to the sin of pride. <laughs> you can't get away from it. He says, don't worry. I came for you. I know that about you. I love you. I'll move toward you. Last week we saw Nicodemus, the insider, Pharisee, educated, elite, access, teacher, all of that, the ultimate insider. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. You completely need me. You can't rest on your laurels on this one. Now he's going to the opposite, the extreme outsider with no status, no prestige, no access, no connection, and says, you need to completely leave everything behind and follow me. Either way, it's the same. And he says, But either way, I'm coming to you. Notice, this is not a God will meet you halfway moment. You just got to take the first step. It's not that. He has come to her town. He's met her all the way. And she hasn't taken a step toward him yet. He moved toward her. What if he's moving toward you right now at light speed and your biggest assignment is to be open to it? Now, here's why you might not. So I'll say the reason why you should is because of how good he is toward you. But you do see that this grace exposes. It exposes in order to heal. So he says, go and get your husband. I think when he said, go and get your husband, he already knew she didn't have a husband. He seems to have some supernatural knowledge at different points throughout the scriptures. I think if the whole town knew she didn't have a husband, he probably knew she didn't have a husband. He's doing something here. And someone goes, you know what, that's exactly what I hate about Christianity. It's going to bring up the ways that you've failed or fallen short and then bring them up and shame you for them. And let me, hear you, let me tell you, I have seen communities, churches do that. I have pastored and counseled people who have left communities like that with deep, deep scars. Maybe that's part of your life story, ways that you've been treated before in the past or other people around you. And you need to know that is not what Jesus is doing here. He wouldn't be the good doctor. He wouldn't, he's called a good physician. A good physician, when they see, some of you have medical degrees, when, when you see an illness in someone's body 
and you know you can diagnose it, there's no question about it, and you know you can treat it, you are, you're committing malpractice if you see it and you say nothing. You just let it go. He says, I can see right through you to your soul, to your core, to your heart, and it's sick. But I could do something about it, so I'm going to bring it up with you right now. But I think there's an order of operations here because they say this in, like, leadership, forgive it, it's a cliche. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. He's like, let me just show you I already care about you. I'm in public with you. I'm speaking to you in public. I had to come to Samaria. I'm here. I'm for you. Now that we're on the topic, let's talk about what you're really thirsty for. And the metaphor of this well is interesting. Because like I said, it's been here for a thousand years. It hasn't run out yet. It hasn't failed yet. Wells will fail if it doesn't rain for long enough. But this one apparently has been working pretty well, pun not intended, for a long time. And in some ways, it's a metaphor. Right? She has her bucket. She has the water. She's going to come back here every single day. Paradoxically, he says, well, if you would have known who you're talking to, you'd ask me, and I'd give you a spring of water that's welling up to eternal life. And she's looking at him going, what are you even talking about? You don't have a bucket. This is ridiculous. And that's when he says, well, the truth is, you're really thirsty. You go from man to man. You've done this five times. The guy you're living with right now is not your husband. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for love. You're looking for security. You're looking for fulfillment. You're looking for companionship. And it's never filled. Now, he's talking about this in romantic relationship terms, but it fits with any category of our lives. The question is, what is the well that you keep going to to fill you up? Could be your career. It promises to quench your thirst. If I just make enough money, then I'll never thirst again. If I just get a spouse, then I'll never thirst again. If I get rid of the spouse that I currently have, then I'll never thirst again. You say, if I could have kids, then I'll never thirst again. And then those who have kids go, if I didn't have kids, when, they, when I'm an empty nester, then I'll never thirst again. If I could just look a certain way, if I could just drop a certain amount of pounds, if I could just fit into a certain dress or a certain coat, if I could just get enough followers on Instagram, if I could get tenure in my institution. Not all of these things are bad things. In fact, you know, with the exception of leaving your spouse and wishing you didn't have kids, these are like not bad things. But they make terrible saviors. They're not the well of water that gushes up to eternal life. And so this is a great time, especially during Lent, to do a little examination and say, what water am I going to? And how's it working for me? Because you could chase them your whole life and never fill you up. In Ireland, in one of the main airports, I'm told there's a statue of one of their football greats, soccer translation, greats, named George Best. George Best was a superstar. I don't know if I can recommend that you Google him because I think he lived a little life on the wild side, but I've already said it, so there it is. And uh, apparently he has a statue in this airport in Dublin, and one of his quotes is there. And it says, in my life... I spent most of my money on women, song, and booze. The rest of it I wasted. (laughs) 
which is kind of funny when he's a superstar soccer player with all this money and all these women and all this good times. But when you look at it after, like, after his death, you go, ooh, that's like soberingly haunting to think that we do the same thing <laughs> and one day we too will die. I mean, that's Lent coming to you and saying, do you realize how serious this is? What are you spending your life on? It's short. What promises to fill you? Where do you go to quench that thirst? And what do you do when it leaves you empty? Now, some of you say, actually, Matt, I'm kind of tracking with you, and I expect that a pastor would be saying things like this. But let me tell you, I'm pursuing my water, whatever it might be, and it's working for me. I'm not hitting this fallout or this bottom. It's actually working pretty well. I do look good. I do make good money. I do. The, the things that I'm going to are giving me a lot back. And I, first of all, I applaud you and I congratulate you. And I just say with love and truth that hang in there, do it long enough, and it will fail you. Because pursuing any water other than the water you were designed for will work for a season until it doesn't. So the question is, how do you know how much more you have until it runs out? And Jesus says, let's not even play that game. Why don't you just come to me and I will be a wellspring of water welling up to eternal life. Now here's an interesting thing. A well, it's not necessarily, so living water, on one, on one hand there's this double entendre. You kind of, you think, oh well the spiritual side is like living water for your soul, for your spirit, all that. It does. But it also just simply meant water that is moving versus water that's stagnant. Okay? A stale pond versus a spring water coming down the mountain and it's fresh, okay? So he's saying both. But here's the interesting thing. He's saying you currently have this well that is still and might run out. But when you come to me, by comparison, it's like a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the difference is you have to go down to the well with a bucket and a rope to get the water. The spring comes to you. And not only that, you can't stop the spring from coming to you. People come to, to places where there's a, a natural spring coming out of a mountain, and they try to build something on top of it. They throw all kinds of stuff into it, wood and concrete and dirt and rocks. And you know what it does after a while? It just pushes right through all that stuff because you can't stop it. He says, that's the kind of love that I have for you that will come into your life. You can put all sorts of things on top of it, the dirt, the rocks, the concrete, but it's always going to be there, and that's good news. Because his power to save you, to rescue you, to care for you, is not dependent on your ability to keep your life perfectly clean. It's dependent on his ability to break through, which he demonstrates again and again. There's this really big moment here I don't want you to miss. She basically says, who do you think you are? God gave this well to our ancestor, Jacob. Do you think you're greater than the ant? And he goes, I am the one. And that word I am echoes all the way back to what, how Yahweh introduced God's self to Moses on the Mount, Mount Sinai. I am. He's saying when you think about the God of all creation, the God of all rescue, you're looking at him. So trust me. Turn to me. Walk with me. And it's interesting because she leaves her, it says she left her bucket behind and went back to her town. Now, on one hand, she probably left her bucket behind because I don't know why. I mean, maybe it was just a practical thing. She didn't want to carry it anymore. But I think it's also a symbol, a metaphor of her saying, I don't need that stale water anymore, so I'm going to even ditch the mechanism of obtaining it. And she's burning the boats behind her. She's not going back. 
a new turn. Maybe this is what we'd call repentance, to re- reset your GPS back toward God's calling in your life and say, I'm going to go this way. Now, that could be for us making choices around any number of things, relationships, career. And you see the thoroughness of her healing. In the beginning she's, of the story, she's alone at noon at the well. She's shamed. She's dishonored. And Jesus encounters her. And in the final scene, she goes to this town. And first she says, see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Do you know how her town would hear this? She's already the town gossip. And she just came back and said, I met a man. Yeah, I'm sure you met a man. You've done that before. See the man who told me everything I've ever done. But by the end of it, she invites him, Jesus into the town. He stays for several days, and the people say, we no longer believe just based on your testimony, which they believed based on her testimony, which means that she had somehow regained enough trust and honor in society for them to even listen to her. That's amazing. She started at the well alone because these people wouldn't even be around her, and now she's back in her community, back in her society, reconnected with her. She's being reunited with God and reconnected to her entire community. She's being healed spiritually and socially. This has financial implications for her too. And Jesus knows this will all come at a cost. Because she's being included back into the town. But in Jerusalem on Good Friday, he will be sent out of the city to be executed. He is highlighting her brokenness so that he can heal it. But on the cross, he will take the brokenness and the sin of this whole world upon himself to do something about it. On the cross, he will take the shame of a crucifixion, a Roman crucifixion, so that this woman can live in shame no longer. And he does the same thing for you and the same thing for me. And he moves toward you. He says, drink this living water. And then finally, he sends her out. She, she kind of proverbially drank, but didn't just hold it to herself. Now she's telling anybody who will listen. Friends, who is in your life right now that you can be a conduit of this kind of living water to them? Whether it's through conversational opportunities that you have, whether it's the way to actually embody this kind of living water in someone's life who you could see is dying of thirst. I mean, one of the most powerful prayers you can pray, and I challenge you, and if you do this, please tell me, the most powerful prayer in the morning. Gracious God, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm yours. I invite you into every part of my life and help me to demonstrate your love to somebody today. Show up. Challenge God to show up. Maybe start a prayer like this. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, be with me in every aspect of my life today and guide my ways and help me to have my eyes and my heart open to what you're doing. Pray that prayer. That's a dangerous, exciting, adventurous, costly prayer, but it's a whole new world. You receive the living water, and then it goes out through you. And that's our invitation today. When one person, when you do that, your life is transformed. Now look, you're going to go out these doors, and I hope you do this. I hope you live into this. And when you forget, don't worry. That's why we gather back together to remind each other to lift each other up, to encourage each other. But when you do it, your life is transformed by and by. But when a congregation does this, a church does this, the whole city is renewed. The whole world is renewed. 
Let's step into this bigger calling today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray that you would wake us up like you woke up this woman at the well. That you would break through like you broke through for her. That you would give us that living water of the Holy Spirit that dwells and, and rises up to eternal life. And in this time of offertory and reflection that we're about to, to partake in, this time of communion that we're about to receive, help us to see where we've settled for less than your calling in our lives. Help us to trade in the bucket, the well water, for that spring that just can't be stopped. And by your Holy Spirit, I pray you'd make that real, actual, and tangible in our lives and in this world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.